This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by David and Brady. So this week we're going to be breaking down some football discussions, starting with a recap of Georgia State's 36-34 to win over the Troy Trojans in Troy uh, last week. So the game happened like this. Georgia State scored first, and on the touchdown play that made it 7-7 tie, the Troy quarterback, Gunnar Watson, left the game injured, being replaced by Jacob Free. Georgia State then went up 10-7 after that, but Troy scored on defensive touchdowns on back-to-back defensive possessions to go up 21-10 in short order. The Panthers then rattled off 23 unanswered points, including outscoring Troy 20-0 in the third, which is not something that's happened in either of the uh, previous matchups, I believe, to get control of the game. 37-yard field goal by Noel Ruiz made it 36-28 with 6.54 left to play. And then madness. Troy throws a pick. Georgia State punts. Troy turns it over on downs. Georgia State fumbles on maybe the last or second-to-last play they'd have to run before kneeling. And then Troy gets a touchdown to cut it to 36-34 with 37 seconds left. Go for two. Can't get the two-point conversion kick an onside kick, recover the onside kick, but it's ruled illegal because a a Troy player touched it before it went 10 yards after review and Georgia State manages to escape with the win. So gentlemen, starting out discussion on this game, let's just talk about this ending. Yeah, we can definitely start there because I feel like people want to, you know, people saw that ending and they probably freaked out a little bit. Um, but I want I want people to relax. Um, I think at the end of the game, Georgia State had that game won. And then there was the Destin Coates fumble, obviously, that gave Troy another opportunity. Um, there was the drive before that after Georgia State got an interception. Um and they punted. They only gained negative four yards. Um, but I, I don't think that there's anything to worry about in terms of late game situational football or anything. I think it was just one of those, you know, a million to one scenarios where everything went right for Troy and it put them in a position to try to come back and win the game. Excuse me. Ultimately, they didn't get the two point conversion onside kick. Boom. We're out of there with a win. Yeah, um, I guess I'll start with the onside where you just left it off. Um, it was a really hard call live. I was there and it was just about down my line of sight. And my first thought was they should look at that because I think he might have gotten there a little early just by gravity's sake, not that he was reaching for it early. And it was a heck of a kick. It was there was a hole in the onside coverage that is right where the ball went, but so a got to watch out for that. Cause it was a pretty, just, it was where a body could have been that wasn't. And that's right where the football went. But the other part of that B it was really perfectly placed as far as the kick goes. And um, I, I think that they weren't, it, it didn't feel exactly like the Falcons Cowboys onside that we should never speak of from a couple of, I don't know. Was that last month? Time is um, an illusion, so. Yes, and that game can go into the illusion of time forever as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it wasn't great on onside recovery either. But then the more replays I saw, there wasn't a line, like an angle right down the yard line, but where 
the return guy's feet were relative to where he was holding the ball, it seemed pretty conclusive that with while he wasn't trying to just half a yard early, he was touching the ball. That's legal touching. I think it was controversial and there wasn't a great there. There was not a perfect angle. I'll say it still left a little bit to where I can understand people, especially Troy fans wanting to believe that it was a bad call, but I think it was ultimately the right call. And I'm, I would call, I call balls and strikes pretty even there. I'm not a Homer who refuses to believe that no bad calls, even if it affected Georgia state, should stay as bad calls or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I thought that they got that right. And I, I think that I, I have a little different opinion that I think you, you cannot dig yourself into a hole like that, where it comes down to an onside when you have the game one really three times. Um, I think once Troy threw the pick, I right, actually, I'll back it up a little bit. Georgia state had the ball in the red zone on that drive that, Noel Reese ended up getting the field goal to put up eight. And I think Georgia state could have finished that drive. And at that point it'd be a two score game with six and change left or five and change left, whatever. And it'd be really hard for Troy to come back, but okay. You kick the field goal there. Eight point lead is still important because at the end of the day, when Troy scored the touchdown, they still needed the two point conversion. They didn't get, but you get the ball again in plus territory. When cam Sims gets a nice pick of Jacob free, and the drive just goes absolutely nowhere. You have to punt it back. Okay. The defense gets the ball back to the offense. A couple minutes later on a turnovers and down turnover on downs. And you have the ball again. Time is really against Troy at this point. You get a first down. And so it really should be over. I think the functioning with the timeouts that Troy still had, you had to run it one, maybe two more times. If you got another first down, it'd really be over. And at that point, even if you just do nothing with the ball, if you just don't fumble there, Troy burns their timeouts and you punt it back to them and they get, you know, 20 seconds left having to go 80 yards with no timeouts. And that's a lot different than them getting the ball about midfield and having 80 seconds left, which they scored in that time. So I I just think when the offense had three, really four chances to put the game on ice. That's something that it didn't cost you this time, but you've got to get that cleaned up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned that drive where Noel Ruiz hit that field goal. Um, I, I want to give Georgia State props for that drive. They got the ball with 1329 in the fourth. Um, you know, they're up 33 to 28. And, you know, they they go down the field, they march down the field and a drive that takes six minutes and 35 seconds, you know, they're running the ball, moving it kind of at will, but also not really taking their time. And, you know, it has the makings of a phenomenal drive and then they kind of get stopped, but obviously they still get points, you know, and you just wish that, you know, one or two throws on that drive come back and, you know, they're caught. And especially the third down play to Roger Carter, that was super close. They had that um, set up. They did. They absolutely did. I, um, I didn't know. I, I've seen it a couple of times. I don't know whether it was the, the throw was a little off or whether Roger was coming out of his route and just couldn't get the ball. Um, but it was one of those where the play was set up. And I think if he catches it, it's a touchdown on that play. But correct. if not, it's a first and goal situation. Correct. And it, you're still in a great place, but, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, 
I think that the offense uh, sputtered at times through the game and made it harder, especially with the two turnovers for touchdowns on back-to-back possessions. But the opening drive was a longish drive, putting together plays. And I know you wanted to highlight this, but I'll, I'll mention now since I'm mentioning um, this in this section, the drive after the two turnovers to get a field goal at the end of the half. And then the one we were just talking about at the end of the game, that even though it only got a field goal, that was the one thing that this offense hasn't done as well as last year's offense did, where it was able to put together drives and stay on the field on third and can convert on third downs. And so I will say in a game that I don't think the offense was at their best. And I think they'd be the first to tell you that they, they found that facet that they had struggled in. And I think that was a, if they can put that with the, big plays, the explosion, the finding the end zone that has been more prevalent in the Arkansas state game and in the ECU game, then that offense will be very hard to stop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the drive, the drive that I did want to highlight was before the half. And, you know, you're right. Like the offense wasn't playing good at the time. Um, you know, obviously quad through the pick six and then there was the fumble return for a touchdown. So what did Georgia state do? They, they were struggling with running the ball all throughout the game up until that point. So they just ran the ball 10 straight times and got 62 yards and took up about five minutes. And, you know, that's another situation where you would love a touchdown if they're moving the ball that effectively, but just being able to channel that running identity and being able to find ways to just get it done and move the ball, even when quads not really hitting his receivers. Um, you know, obviously Troy did a good job of limiting Sam Pinckney, even though he still had a pretty good game. Um, I think that the Panthers did an, a better job finding other guys to step up, whether it be in the run game, whether it be Roger Carter, um, he had a good game. So it was really nice to see the few times that Georgia state was able to put very long drives together and get down the field and find ways to get points. And I I would say it's time to switch it up and talk about, I think the defense had a really good game. All things considered, there is a lot of passing yardage for the second game in a row. And we can talk about the implications of that going forward, but it really was the definition of the bend don't break that, Nate Fuquay is going for that is all the rage in college football these days. Um, Troy went what two for five in the red zone. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's if, huge. If you're Troy, if you're Troy, you're turning it over four times. You're going two for five in the red zone. That's on the other side of things, them not setting themselves up for success. It is hard to win football games when you're doing that. Right. I care much less that the Panthers gave up 400 yards in passing offense than I do that the Panthers got four turnovers, one of them being a goal line interception that set them up. Um, You know, I care that they got they held Troy to two of five in the red zone. And yes, obviously there was the, you know, missed field goal, no Panther touched the ball, but you know, being fortunate and opportunistic is all the cool kids love to say. That's what helps you win games. Yeah. And I guess in retrospect, the ant lane interception you alluded to was kind of the play of the game because Troy was on the doorstep at that point. They were up 21, 13, really were moving well on that drive. Georgia State was struggling out of the half and they had just given up a first down run when the, it was like a double pass and they just lost sight of the 
the set, the receiver who got the double pass and he was like, okay, I'm going to keep running. And he ran past the sticks for a first down. It was like, you can't really afford to go down 15 here with any question marks lingering about the offense. And Jalen Jones was good in coverage. It was some hand fighting both ways. I think it was a good no call to not throw a flag there. Uh, Jalen Jones probably should have got the interception, uh, but it bounced <laughs> up to Lane. And I think it worked out better because at first watching it live, I was like, just just take a knee in the end zone. It's fine. But I shut up because Ant Lane was right because he had a lane, which, uh, you know, the unavoidable pun. I'm sorry. <laughs> he had an alley. He had an alley, we'll say. Um, once just getting one block and he took it out to about 40. Uh, they picked up a flag for horse collar, which I wasn't really sure why, but Georgia state went from possibly down being down 15 to having the ball near midfield. And then that's really the, the kick that the offense needed to have their best stretch of the game. I thought it was really good complimentary football. And as evidenced by the 20 third quarter scoreline. Exactly. You know, and yeah, we can sit there and say that the Georgia state defense got abused, but you know, does anybody remember the 72 yard drive before the interception? No, of course not. Because Troy didn't score, you know, and that's what matters. It's also time to bring up, I think my favorite uh, individual stat uh, from this year that we can talk about uh, that just 2020 Jordan Strawn is currently on pace just on the output from this season <laughs> to be the career sacks leader for Georgia state. He has five through four games. The career record is 10 and a half sacks over a career. So he's stepped up and he's been a guy off the edge that perhaps evidenced by the fact that the career sacks leader at Georgia state only has 10 and a half sacks it's a guy that Georgia state hasn't really had lighting it up in that type of role running off the edge. And neither of Troy's tackles really had any chance when he was getting downhill, he got a sack on both the left tackle on the right <laughs> tackle. And he forced a fumble on the left tackle. And that gave Georgia state their next turnover and gave them even better field position. And they took advantage of that to, uh, take a 12 point lead. I mean, we just, we cannot be saying enough good things about Jordan Strawn. you know, him and Blake Carroll, I think have been really steady so far defensively for Georgia state. I mean, they're both playing exceptional right now. Yeah. And we've beaten around it, but we haven't spelled it out that two defensive touchdowns, the defense only gave up 20 of the 34 points, just like in the ECU game the stat line looked worse for them just based on score when in fact they gave up three field goals and the other scores with either defensive touchdown or special team touchdowns for ECU. So I think it's another game where if you just look at the raw numbers, if you just look at the yardage, if you just look at the points scored, you can look at it and say, Oh, defense got stuff to work out. I, I think that they were the reason for the win. And I thought that they did enough. And if they keep getting to the quarterback, if they keep forcing big plays, if they keep standing up in the red zone, that's the formula and that's what you ask. And if teams get big plays, that's just going to happen in college football. Offenses are good. It's really unfair to have to play defense. If we're being honest, offenses are really good. <laughs> but this is what you want. This is how you, you know, this is how you win in college football. You just find a way to limit the big plays. 
that I mean that's that's just if, the truth if, of the matter. If you give up the big play, it can't be a big play score. You got to get right. someone down short of the end zone and then figure it out. And because you talked about the missed field goal, but Georgia State on the second down play before that missed field goal for Troy, Cam Sims broke up a pass in the end zone. On the third down play, Ant Lane had a pass breakup and it forced the field goal. It was a situation where, especially with the weapons that Troy had at receiver, it was a situation where they could have easily gotten the touchdown there and the complexion of the game changes. Um, and so to, to your point, you just kind of find a way to win. And really, especially that you had the game pretty well sewn up and losing that game would have been a real just kicking the teeth you had to win that one and just for the season goals two and two looks a whole lot different than one and three and you've got some positive momentum going into what is probably uncontroversially the best team you'll play so far in coastal carolina so before we get to coastal i did want to ask um i just want to ask a question like your thoughts do you think uh last year's team wins that game after going down 21 10 I, I mean, I think it's a different team because I have no problem believing that Dan is going to keep his head up and keep the offense going, that that team was definitely predicated on those long drives that this that the team did in this game to put together. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's so easy to, to play the what if game, but it, it is hard to just factor like, well, what if Georgia State had Trey Barnett in that game? Not taking anything away from the running backs, but Trey was on such a roll last year with that team, and it was just one of those things where he just needed one hole. And so, you know, you can do that game for whoever, but I, I, I would say maybe the answer you didn't want to hear, I'd say probably I buy that because I think the offense was really good last year with Dan, and I don't think 11 points with how they could score on offense was going to be much, but that's not to say that it wasn't a impressive response from this year's team, especially right at the time when they needed it. I, I tweeted something to that effect during the game. I was like, this is kind of it. This is the response time. You got it. You're down 11 now. And what did they do? Score 23 straight. Yeah, they did what they had to do. You know, that's what good teams do. That's all she wrote. You win the games, you know, win when you're supposed to. So moving on to Coastal Carolina, in case you have been living under a rock for the past, what, two months, Coastal Carolina is the hottest team in the Sun Belt right now, sitting at 5-0 and after starting the season with a little bit of a Big 12 bullying action. Uh, head coach Jamie Chadwell's in his third season at the helm, second consecutive. His overall record is 13-16. and Georgia State leads the all-time series 2-1. Fun fact, the home team has never won since the two teams started playing as a uh, conference rivals uh, key offensive players to look out for uh, of course Grayson McCall their star quarterback uh, questionable at this point for this weekend's game as of the time of recording Fred Payton is expected to start the backup uh, running backs include CJ Marable Isaiah Likely and Javion Hiley are two receiving options that we're going to be watching out for uh, key defensive players for the Chanticleers that we're going to be looking at are defensive tackle C.J. Brewer, weak side linebacker Silas Kelly, and defensive end Teron Jackson, who have all combined for nine sacks total. Uh, so starting out the uh, McCall status, uh, the starting quarterback, uh, his status I think is going to be the biggest factor going into this weekend. Uh, as of the time of recording, we don't have necessarily official news on who's 
going to start. There's been rumblings that uh, McCall will possibly be good to go. But uh, again, as of the time of recording, we don't have any confirmed one way or the other. Although if McCall is not good to go, of course, Peyton will start. So, yeah, so my first thought with this was that we've been here on the other side before. Uh, We spent a whole podcast before last year's App State game. It was like, (laughs) well, Claude Brown's the guy now, so what are we going to expect with this guy? And then we all found out together on college game day that Dan Ellington was actually going to start coming off of his ACL injury. Surprise. Um, And in talking this week about Coastal and asked about the offense and specifically about anything that was going to change with the game planning with the quarterback coach Elliott also didn't seem to be entertaining the idea that McCall wasn't playing. He was like, we're going to prep that he's going to play until he shows up in Saturday on in street clothes. And so I guess that's coloring my thoughts is that it's, I think that he was a late scratch last week. I think they were expecting him to be ready for the game against Georgia Southern. And then it didn't happen. He wasn't practicing fully by the time they were planning on it. And so they went with Peyton, the backup. And I think they do that if his health is at all a question. I don't think they're going to rush him back. I don't think that they're going to play him injured. But um, the, the only card he has in this game is to just to leave it up in the air until the ball's kicked on Saturday. So I don't think we will know. Uh, but I am personally expecting McCall to play, just like Coach Elliott said he is. I just... That's that's where my personal thinking is. And I I put down that the defense is going to be the biggest test for Georgia State's offense, but really both sides. It's very possible this is the best team on both sides of the ball that Georgia State has played so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, I don't want to really chime in on a, you know, fake quarterback thing that's going to happen in one week. I think schematically, it doesn't really matter which quarterback Coastal throws out there. McCall is obviously better. Um, You know, he's electric when he's getting in the open field. Um, He also has a much better deep ball than Peyton does. Um, I think Georgia State will be able to cheat uh, in terms of how many players they have in the box and how forward their defensive backs can play if Peyton is there, because I just don't think that he has the arm to beat them over the top consistently. Um, if the defensive backs play how I think they will. Um, and, you know, obviously if you're a fan of college football, you want to see McCall healthy and out there going up against, you know, another good young quarterback in Claude Brown himself. Um, but it's, you're right. It's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be definitely a test to see if Postal's defensive line is as good as it has been. Um, you know, I don't want to say that they've faced some weaker offensive lines because that's not necessarily true, you know, but Georgia State does have a good offensive line. You know, Quad Brown has been sacked, I believe, three times this season. Um, you know, it's very I'm hard. Absolutely. You know, it's very hard to get him down. He gets the ball out quick, you know, and then just when the Georgia State offensive line is playing, you know, they are churning and burning, you know, um, I don't anticipate that Georgia state is going to struggle to run the ball. Um, I think coastal has a good defense, but I believe there will be lanes for whomever Georgia state runs back there. Um, but it will be a test for coastal to see if they can get off the field, uh, because so far this season, they on third down have been excellent tops in the belt. Um, defensively, not as good, but you know, it's still a decent number at 40.91% allowed. So 
you know, we'll see. We'll definitely see what Georgia State is able to do against this coastal team. I do I do think that Georgia State will match up well against them instead of, you know, sort of matching well, matching up a little bit poorly in some of the other ranked matches that they have had. Yeah, uh, a couple of the things to watch as far as what each team is good at. Uh, Coastal is the only team better than Georgia State sack totals in the Sun Belt this year. They have 17 through five games. And like we were talking about, Georgia State's only allowed three. So there's a matchup there. Is the Coastal front going to win or is the Georgia State front going to hold up? And then the other one is that Coastal, 55% third down conversion rate. (laughs) That is just very good. That's incredible. Uh, That is about where the team who ends up finishing top in the country is about at most years in third down conversion. Um, Whereas Georgia state, and this is something we didn't talk about uh, in the Troy talk, but we've talked about pretty much every week because it's been good every week. Top in the Sun Belt, 29% third down allowed, uh, which is also similarly elite. Great number to have. And so that will be the battle, I think, for Coastal Georgia State on the offense-defensive battle. If Georgia State can keep Coastal backed up because they want to be like Georgia State in manageable down distance and just kind of move down the field like that, if they're backed up, if they're in third and medium, third and long, and if Peyton's going to have to be relied on to make the throws, you feel good about the way Georgia State's been playing and getting off the field on third down. Uh, and so uh, those are the the two things to watch because I think the line play in general, both ways, uh, whichever defensive front is more disruptive, I think might make the difference in the game. And it, it's an equal chance for both of them. Georgia State hasn't faced a really good rushing team since probably, yeah, since the Louisiana game, the opener. And Louisiana found some holes, but even with the big runs that Louisiana First off, Georgia State is tops in the Sun Belt right now, 97 rushing yards allowed a game, 3.2 yards a carry. And while the teams that they have played are past first teams, the, the and that might shade that the yards are lower because it was teams are looking to pass more. But the 3.2 average yards allowed is very good. That would stand up no matter how many times the team's running a game. If Coastal can only manage somewhere around 3.2 yards a carry or something in that neighborhood, then Georgia State stands a very good chance of winning because they're not going to be doing much in the run game. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned actually that, you know, that it could be the opponent's scheme. It's also that Georgia State has just played football games in which it completely takes out the other team's ability to run the ball. And I think that's important too. You know, we are absolutely talking about one of the best offenses in the Sun Belt right now in the Panthers. And so, you know, when they get cooking and going, your opposing teams are just not going to be able to find ways to, they're not going to have a chance to run the ball. You know, like this game between coastal and Georgia state is featuring the top two teams in points per game in the Sun Belt. Georgia state's at 42, even, um, you know, coastal Carolina's at 38 and you know, how many times have we seen Georgia state leave points on the board? You know, I'm sure coastal has been the exact same way themselves. So, you know, we could absolutely see an electric game or it could be the defenses are doing enough and that'll render some of the running on one side, not as prevalent. And on the other side, you know, Georgia state is going to have to find ways to get it done using both methods of moving the ball. 
definitely looking forward to see the offense find it again because it's easy to find it again after they scored 36, but they weren't at tip-top shape against Troy. And I think credit goes to Troy for some of that. And I think that there's things that Coastal can pick out from that game that Troy did well. Troy covered laterally really well. Their linebackers and their safeties were ready for any time that state was trying to get a play out to the perimeter, whether it was like an option run or whether like a screen pass. Um, and uh, Georgia state just going to have to find their comfort in the run game a lot sooner than it against Troy, because there's no telling what the game will be like if it gets to the middle of the second quarter before Georgia state really gets a, a rhythm in the run game going. Um, and Saying all that with the run games, it's possible that Coastal wants to air it out, seeing what they saw with the last two games, Georgia State's pass defense, the big plays possibly being there. And Coastal, even with Peyton in the backup, this last game against Georgia Southern, their offense ended up being a lot predicated on some big plays in the pass game, either getting touchdowns or setting up touchdowns soon after. And they were getting some busted coverages against Georgia Southern. And I guess it's possible that's the way that they go. Uh, I would probably be okay with that if that was what, if I was, you know, Nate Fuquay playing for this, if they were wanting to put it in the hands of Peyton, because I don't think he's as crisp. He's thrown more picks already in just one start than McCall had done in his starts previous to that. And just was a little bit imprecise and even left some scary throws where it didn't end up costing him. And this Georgia State defense has been, Ball hawking. They've been getting interceptions. Are already at seven through four games. Very good rate. And I think that if the the other thing that I would want to say about the uh, defense and the past defense is the last two teams Georgia State has played are the best two pass offenses in the Sun Belt. Are the best pass offenses Georgia State has on the schedule. And so some of the yardage as we talked about, didn't end up leading the points. But even if you're worried about the yardage, there really isn't a team that should be able to do that. And I don't think Coastal is going to try and do as much. I think they want to get the run game going. But I just wanted to end on that by mentioning that if you factor out Georgia State, because Georgia State's defense allowed over 550 yards passing to Arkansas State, over 400 yards passing to Troy. But even if you take the Georgia state performance out of the numbers for those two teams, they are still number one and number two in pass offense in the Sun Belt. Arkansas state is still at 333 yards per game. If you take out the Georgia state game and that's just crazy numbers. Uh, so again, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how the defense goes, but I think that we will see as they start playing teams that are less prolific at passing the passing numbers come down a little bit for the defense. So that game will be on Saturday at noon on ESPNU, or if you feel so inclined, head on down to Center Park Stadium, socially distance and mask on and cheer on the Panthers. So let's move on to some listener questions before we get you guys out of here this week. First one is from Carlos, who wants to know, can our defense show up again and will we be the team that upsets Coastal? Oof. Well, you know, we at Thursday night, we're not necessarily in the predicting business, sort of. Um, but I think it can, truthfully. Um, I am definitely leaning towards that Arkansas State was the anomaly. Um, Brady kind of mentioned interceptions earlier. And, you know, 
kind of to codify how good Georgia state has been at creating turnovers in every game that they have played this season, they've picked up at least two interceptions, you know, and that's very important because if you're not capable of forcing turnovers, it prevents, it presents a very long afternoon for your defense. Um, you know, regardless of if it's McCall, regardless of if it's Peyton, you know, this is a Georgia State defense that has shown that it is a tenacious bunch and they're going to get a turnover of some sort. So I definitely think the defense will show up and will have a significant impact on the game. Now, does that mean that I think Georgia State will be the one to upset Coastal? Maybe, um, you know, they're playing at home. Nothing's wrong with a little home cooking. So sure, why not? Let's say that Georgia State gets its first win against a ranked opponent. That is what's at stake. Second chance at the ranked win. Let the cat out of the bag against Louisiana, get another shot at it. Um, I meant to squeeze this in earlier, but I also throw it in now because we were talking about turnovers. Um, In this week's, Correlation doesn't equal causation. Georgia State is now 2-0 and in games in which they allow multiple non-offensive touchdowns and 0-2 in which games they don't. <laughs> Boy, that is, a, uh, that is not a stat line I want to celebrate. <laughs> so all that to say, stats can sometimes be dumb and not mean anything or root for Coastal to get two non-offensive touchdowns if they're going to score and keep the weird mojo going. I, I wouldn't recommend that. I don't think that's a good strategy. I don't think spotting teams 14 points on not offense is a good strategy, but we'll see if there's anything there. Uh, But I just finished talking about the defense. Um, I think that there's a lot to like. I think that, like David's saying, if they're forcing turnovers, getting Coastal off the field on third down, then we know what the offense can do. And this will be a good test for the Georgia State offense because Coastal's got a good defense. They've got a good front. They also force turnovers. They are plus four on the year in the turnover margin. So they not only force them, but they aren't usually creating their own, forcing their own on offense. And so I think as with any football games, third downs, turnovers, what it's going to come down to. And this team's played well at home. This team has put up points this year. And last year. And so I, I'd feel good about this. Uh, I would feel worried as a coastal fan. This feels like the real big test that they have to get through before they get to app, which would be, you know, a real big game. If they get to that game undefeated and app doesn't lose until then. Well, you know what they say, or used to say, at least in the before times of the pandemic, all flights connect in Atlanta and all rows to the Sunbelt championship game have to go through Georgia state at some point. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I got to work on that. They got to tighten that up. That's a little long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like two sentences, you know what they say unfurls. Well, you know what they say is that I am incredibly verbose when I'm speaking. So moving on. Second question we've got this week is Mike from Marietta who wants to know in the spirit of Halloween, what is the craziest costume you've ever worn or what costume would you wear to the stadium? If you were coming as a fan, so I was weird. Um, I was uh, strange. I guess that probably hasn't changed, but I don't remember what year it was, but it was in like elementary school. For some reason, it might have been because of Weird Owl. I was like interested in Amish people. Oh, no. Oh, so I dressed no. up as an Amish person <laughs> for Halloween. <Okay. laughs> that's a, that, Bad Hair Day was a good album. 
and Amish Paradise's all-time iconic Weird Al song. I probably so made really I salute you. dumb, offensive jokes about electricity a bunch, and I apologize to any <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch who aren't <laughs> listening to the podcast. I really thought that was going to go in a much different way. <laughs> you know, Amish, that's not bad. That's at least like a fun little getup. Um, yes. Uh, it could be I, worse. I mean, the only thing is, it's just one of those things where it's like, who the hell does that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's really funny, but I... I don't I don't have a better answer, I guess. I have I, I have kind of a different answer. So I, I I'm sure David remembers this. So uh uh all of us uh at Thursday night were a part of the Panther band at one point. And every year at Halloween they have a costume contest where you you show up to rehearsal in costume and we would do all of our practice, all the routines and everything in costume as much as we could, and then there's some sort of parade at the end and they declare a winner. So one year, I think, I think it was 2015. It was. Uh, yeah, David knows exactly where this is going. So it was oh, a joke. It, it, it was a joke that because I would always wear the same clothes. Uh, family business, we sell tools, uh, so I would have like 800 of these shirts with the company name on them. I would just always wear that shirt all the time because I had a bunch of them. It's they're comfy. It's free. Whatever. Why not? So I would always wear that. The joke was that's my uniform. I would wear the shirt. I'd wear the same. Like we had practice uh, shorts and whatever the band would give us. I'd always wear that. So one year for Halloween, it was decided that our section, uh, David and I were mellophone players, would uh, all dress up as me. And now there were 15, <laughs> there were 15 of us that year. <laughs> so, so someone goes on Amazon and buys, I, I am straight up not kidding. The name of the product was nerd boy wig and it was a it, it, it's like a imagine like just your generic uh like nerd guy with black hair it's real greasy it's kind of it's not not like a bowl cut but it's just like unkempt like you don't care about your hair hair so they bought 15 of those i got 15 of the uh the shirts we all wore the same stuff and then see that would have been funny if that was it but it didn't stop there. So we, <laughs> so we, we all, we all start wearing the shirts. Like, so I'm not in costume technically, I guess technically I am cause it's a group costume, but I'm just wearing my normal stuff. And then all these people, we were still in the Georgia dome at that point, one by one, they just start coming out of the tunnel onto the field as we're practicing. And everyone's just like doing double takes like, wait, wait, didn't he already? Oh no. And, and then <laughs> I, I buried the lead beards. They made felt beards. And Everyone, women, men, tall, short, different ethnicities, all are wearing the stupid boy nerd wig and the beards. And they're all coming onto the field. And not only are they dressed like me, they start adopting my mannerisms. We didn't we did not discuss this. They just started doing it. And they're, they're strutting around on the field and doing this, that or the other. And then we're doing practice. And then at one point, all of uh, all of the mellophones were all in a line on the field. And then the one of the directors gets on the on the PA and he starts going, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> it, it, it was, Oh God. So the, I guess the common thread there is what is wrong with you guys? So, so I, I guess the moral of the story is we're all just really weird. 
like I, n- I never really was big into Halloween as a kid. Like I, I would dress up, we'd go trick or treating, wherever. It wasn't really a, a huge thing. But then, you know, you get in college and you have this thing. Hey, the band is going to sponsor this contest, and if you win, you get pizza. Okay, let's do a group costume, and then it became the biggest meme. So I think I might have to use that picture as the uh, the promo picture for the podcast for this week. If I if Definitely. I can, if I can I find it, I wasn't a part of the Melophone <laughs> Fund, but that was also one of my favorite moments from my time in the band. That was just a very fun thing. It was absolute all time Panther Band lore. I guess I don't, I don't know if any uh, anyone listening was part of the Panther Band at that point, but that was boy that was that was fun. That was see if you can find me in the picture when I post it. Good luck. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we definitely have a picture <laughs> see if of that. you can find David. Um, <laughs> oh, you can find um, David. I do, I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, for Panther Band member Hannah Brooks for putting that together. Um, she is incredible at doing stuff like that. Um, it truthfully was one of my favorite practices ever. Um, <laughs> it was... It was so funny, and everybody in the entire group thought it was funny. Um, I don't even have a Halloween costume that I can flout because I never really did that sort of thing as a kid. But man, am I glad that I got to experience being Jordan for a day. Yeah, I think that for me, that's the thing is that I don't have any follow through. So I've stopped really going into Halloween because it's like, it'd be cool if I could do that. And I just don't really care. So I, I am definitely like just loafing it on halloween these days (laughs) if i'm going to halloween party or something i'm just on the day of just kind of like what can i pretend is a costume uh so i've lost the (laughs) amish spirit uh from years ago god that's a good question All right. So thank you, Carlos and Mike, for your questions. Always appreciated. Uh, always feel free at any point in time. Doesn't have to be when we fire off the request for questions. Just ask us something on Twitter, Facebook, or snail mail, carrier pigeon, whatever have you. But yeah, so uh, yeah, Panthers host Coastal number 20, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers at Center Park Stadium at noon on Halloween. So we'll uh, we'll catch you there. We'll catch you on coverage. And we will hopefully see you next week on the Thursday Night Podcast, recapping a win over ranked Coastal Carolina. See ya. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.